Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hello, everyone. Thank you, worship team. Great worship tonight. Who can remember our theme for the year? Well done, Rachel. You may keep your job. Um, (laughs) I gave my life away. And now I, and what is it at the moment? Oh, well done. I heard a few names, a few people, because Paul said that in his connect group of 13 or 14 people, only one could answer that question. So he feels like he failed, but um, glad you all remember. And tonight we're talking about ministering to one another. And God is going to speak to you. And you get to listen to him. So let's pray that our eyes and ears and hearts and minds will be tuned in, ready to hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. Father, thank you so much that you're present with us. My Lord, I pray that we will experience the warmth of your Spirit tonight, the fire of your Spirit inside us, that we will hear your voice speaking clearly, to respond to you, that we will discover the joy of hearing you and responding to you, Father, that our hearts may be filled to overflowing with the knowledge of you and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, when we're talking about the challenge of gathering in his name and you're all here, well, it's sort of like preaching to the choir to a certain extent because you're here. But you have a role in being here because... um, You will bring someone else back with you next week. You can do this. And also, I really want us to know each week why we do what we do. I really like us to know the why behind what we do. Otherwise, we tend to do it just as a mechanical thing and we come not expecting the amazing things that can happen. So tonight we're going to look at why we do what we do, but first a little bit of unpacking before we get to why we're doing this tonight. Did you know that it takes 100 Australian Christians one year to reach someone with the good news of Jesus. Anyone got any thoughts about that? A hundred people, this is on average, one year to reach someone with the good news of Jesus. In other words, to bring someone to faith in Christ. Now, Jesus said before he ascended, go into all the world and make disciples. That is his great commission to us. And if it's taking a hundred of us a year to reach one person, what does that say to you? Does it say anything to you? Do you, do you think about that very much? A hundred people a year to bring someone to faith in Jesus. In 2019, according to a parliamentary report, there were 22 million active life insurance policies in Australia. So someone's getting out and selling lots of life insurance. And the life insurance we have is far better than that one. Like I've got life insurance and so my kids will benefit from it. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that it's a monetary thing. But this, Jesus, it's not just life assurance. It's life, not life insurance. It's life assurance. It's assurance of eternal life and it's assurance of abundant life. And it's assurance of reconciliation, as, um, as, as Eliza's just been talking about. Reconciliation with God, reconciliation with people and with ourselves. You know, we, we desperately need to be in that intimate relationship with God. We desperately need fulfilled and beautiful relationships with others and we desperately need forgiveness for ourselves so that we can actually forgive ourselves for the messes that we've made of our own lives. And all that we discover in Jesus. You know, Tim Keller, who's a pastor from um, New York, says that when a community has 18% of people as fully-fledged followers of Jesus it starts to tip the balance of the culture. The culture starts to grow and change and become positive and beautiful when you have 18%. And so we have this role. Now, why is it that it takes 100 people in Australia 
to bring someone to faith in Christ. There's other countries of the world where it's actually illegal to preach the gospel and the church is growing at a much faster rate. So it's not to do with the legalities of sharing the gospel. It's something far deeper than that. And I think it's this. You may have other ideas. Here's one idea. I think it's because we don't know who we are. So I was talking to someone this week. We're reading the Bible together and they were asking me about, um, so they are a follower of Jesus. They're asking me, how do I talk to people about suffering? Because... When people see God of love and suffering, it's hard to equate it. And so she said to me, Nate, there's been suffering in your life and how do you, what do you, how do you answer that with people? And people will ask you those questions. It's a very common question and I think it's got to do with a misunderstanding of who we are. So I want to go back. Before we get to why you're actually here tonight and what God wants to do through you, I want to go right back to Genesis chapter 1 and have a look at who you are first because once you know who you are, you'll have a better picture of why you're here and what you're called to do. So Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. Let's just pause there. Do you know something strange about that first bit? Any questions about that? Let us make, yes. Who said that, Kate? Well done, Kate. Yes. We might have prizes tonight for people who answer the questions. Um, Let us make human beings in our image. God is plural because God is a triune God. That means he's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's very hard to wrap your heads around. We're not going to have a message on the Trinity tonight. but, But just to understand that God is a triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which means together he is community. So it's not just one God. He says, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so that you know that you are created in the image of the triune God and together we, it's not just you alone, it's us together as well as we come together to be like him and we reflect his nature. We reflect the nature of God who is kind, who is, who is love, who is, is, um, who is good, who is gracious, who is merciful. We have been created with this nature who is creative, who is powerful, who is intelligent. There is no, no more intelligent person ever, has ever walked the face of the earth than Jesus. You can go and think about that. No more intelligent person ever on the face of the earth. So, and because they're created in his image, they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the, in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And as you know, we haven't done a very good job, have we, Mark, who heads up sustained ministry, of being responsible for the earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of earth, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth. Take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living creature, every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. So you were originally planned to be like God with his nature. And you originally planned to come into this world so that it would flourish, to fill the earth with his goodness. But what happened was the devil came in the form of a serpent. We read a little bit later in Genesis chapter 3. And he said to Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, Did God really say this? He put doubt in their heads about the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of God. And they started to doubt God and they started to question God. And in that moment of doing that, they gave away their allegiance to God. Before that, they're walking in God's presence fully, fully in God's presence, serving him totally and bringing his goodness into the world. But after that, they took it upon themselves to work out what they thought was right and wrong 
That's one of the big problems of the world. Everyone thinks that they know what's right and wrong and we're called to walk in obedience to the Lord our God because he alone knows what is right and what is wrong and to follow our own judgment. And everything fell and you don't need to look around very far to see what's happened once everything fell. And so the problem of, of things of suffering in the world where the enemy came into their life was to make them doubt the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. And the world suffers from that so much. And we have been called, we have been called to be redeemed by Jesus, to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to reveal his goodness into the world and to bring healing to people from the suffering and the pain of the world, to let people know that there is a God who loves them. He loves them enough to give his life for them, to die on the cross for them. And we get to be called to be that. Now, when we see um, ourselves as victims of suffering in the world, we don't see ourselves as those God-like people carrying his nature into the world. But when we see ourselves as sons and daughters of the living God, we rise up and we become people who see the world around us and we know that God has sent us to different places of the world to bring his healing, his restoration, his forgiveness, his grace and his mercy and to see people restored. And that's who we are. And when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you surrendered your life to him and you're filled with his spirit, that becomes your role. You get to go into the world and you, and you get to bring restoration and reconciliation and healing and grace and mercy and forgiveness and you get to see people's lives changed and you get to partner with God in doing this. Last week I was up at um, our Maitland campus and um, when we broke up at the end of chat, I was chatting to a lady who was telling me that she was invited to the first time for church, to church uh, in December last year. Now, I was there that day and uh, I remember the service was a great service and but she saw it as so different to how I saw it. So I saw it as great but she described to me what happened to her. She said that she'd been suffering from anxiety and her neighbour, her husband had said to her neighbour, can you get her out of the house a bit because he's going on a business trip and I don't want her at home all the time because she won't go out by herself. So her neighbour said, come to church with me. So she said yes and she went to church and she said, well, she was sitting there that day it was like there was no one else in the room and it was like for the first time in her life she heard God speaking to her. She experienced his love and she gave her life to Christ that day and her experience of that day was profound. Nothing that we could orchestrate. We just partnered with God, all of us who were there, and she had this divine experience of God's power and God's love and his grace and his mercy. She's been filled with his spirit. Now she's on a serving team up there, greeting people. She used to have anxiety. Now she's greeting people and chatting to people as they come in, inviting others to church. That's a miracle. Now, you and I can't orchestrate that ourselves, but we had this privilege of being bringing God's nature into the world and allowing people to actually experience eternal life. And that's what we get to do. And I think that we only are bringing 100 people, bringing one people to that a year because we don't know who we are and we've forgotten how amazing it is to be filled with the love of Jesus. I was um, reading an article that was in the Weekend Australian. It was actually in the Weekend Australian on July 6, 2019. It's by a guy called Greg Sheridan who's a, a journalist for the Weekend Australian and he at that point was in London and he went to Holy Trinity Brompton out of which comes the Alpha Course which has gone worldwide and his whole article is about Christianity. And he went to Holy Trinity and he saw what was happening there and he's just blown away by what was happening. And in his article he says, Paul Bickley of Theos, the influential London think tank, points me to research that shows that religious communities of experiential difference are flourishing. This term experiential difference means two things. The idea that there is something different about being a Christian 
and contained with this some kind of transcendental experience and combined with this some kind of transcendental experience of God. So what he's saying here is that people who were become like we were originally designed to be actually experiencing God, walking in his presence, something happens in those communities where people are being transformed, where people are experiencing the love of God and people are being transformed. And we get to experience the love of God individually but corporately, which we're going to come into in a moment. How do we get to experience the power and the love of God when we actually come together? Now, Melinda Dwight, who is the National Director for Alpha, wrote this just this week. COVID has shaken people's perceptions that they're in control of their lives. More people than ever are searching online for answers to life, faith and meaning. Our communities, friends and family are more open to spirituality. In fact, recent research shows one in four Australians would consider coming to church if someone asked them and four out of five Australians are open to a spiritual conversion. Now, in the last seven decades, Christianity has been declining in Australia. So they say, um, statistically it shows that, when we do a census it shows that, but I'm not sure if it's really declining. I think there's a lot of people who are going to church as nominal Christians or social Christians and, and that's been declining and then we've hit COVID and anyone who's kind of just on the peripheral has sort of dropped off. And now they say that we've plateaued. That's good news, everyone. If you're in free fall, it's good when it stops, okay? It's like if, uh, not that I've ever done skydiving, but Matilde over here has, and is it a relief when the parachute goes over, opens, yes, and free fall stops, yes. So when you hear, oh, we've stopped free fall, that's good news. Otherwise you're heading to the ground. And so we have, free fall has stopped, and what we have left is you with this amazing mission in front of you that's bigger than you can ever wrap your mind around, which is so good for us to have a mission that's bigger than we can ever wrap our mind around. When um, Sam Paul was talking about Bishop Ernest Kaman of Harley, you know, Bishop Ernest was, uh, he and his family were living in America and doing very well and they could have stayed there and become very wealthy, but he just knew God was calling him back to India. And when he went back to India, I wasn't sure exactly what it was at first. Sam Paul can tell this a lot better than I can. But um, one night two children came to his door and they were orphans and they had nowhere to go and he took them in. Is that right, Sam? And then from that, before long, his house was full of children and he realised God was calling him to do something. And so he had to start doing something for orphaned children. And there's so many children over there who call his family their family because he loved them as the Rachel and Ernest loved them as parents. In fact, some of their own children were children who arrived at their door, weren't they? They've adopted them as their own. And, and he, he was called to that. And so all of us have this wonderful opportunity to, to do something and we can get to see people's lives transformed. And I've met people over there whose lives were transformed. And when Sam Paul says his dad was kicked out of, the ho- out of his home, um, it's because he lives in a Hindu country and his parents didn't want him if he was a Christian, so they threw him out. But their parents, his your grandparents are Christians now, aren't they? Yeah, so it's beautiful healing and reconciliation that's happened in that family because it's such a beautiful and faithful family doing extraordinary things over there. And so there's this, there's this yearning in people to see people who actually don't just talk about God, who don't have a bunch of religious rules but actually know him. And the way Jesus says, the way that they'll know you are followers of me is by your love. Of all the things, it's by your love. 
And when we gather together, this is what we get to experience in each other. And everyone who comes in this door, our aim is that they would experience love like they'd never experienced experienced it before. So when Greg Sheridan was interviewing Nikki Gumbel, he says, there is some evidence, at least a suggestion, that the decline of Christianity in Britain has now hit bottom and may be slowly turning around. If that is so, it's in part at least because of the efforts of Nikki Gumbel. Around the world, perhaps 26 million people have taken the Alpha program. Within Australia alone, at least a half a million have done so. So every year it's growing and it's changing people's lives. And, uh, and Nicky Gumbel, he's the senior pastor or senior minister of um, Holy Trinity. He was a barrister. He's another man in London, a very successful barrister, could have kept doing that, using, earning a lot of money. But he encountered Jesus and it transformed his life knowing Jesus and he became a minister and now he's got this church with uh, a lot of kind and generous and bold people who fund the Alpha course worldwide. So there's 26 million people who've got to do the Alpha course for free because there's some people in London who fully pay for it. And if you see the films and the quality of the films, you'll know that it's cost a lot of money to do that. But they're totally invested in it. I know a guy who was, um, he was part of that church over there and he said the people are so generous and so much want to see people find abundance of life that they would give so, so much money. In fact, he said there's one man in that church who pays for the whole payroll of all the staff. It's incredibly generous people. And that generosity goes all around the world To It's now gone to more people than there actually are Australians. So just to finish off that article, he says, Nicky Gumbel doesn't think Christian decline is inevitable, ongoing or irreversible. In 1750, the church had declined to almost nothing. There were 10,000 sex workers walking the streets of London and 16 people at St Paul's Cathedral on Easter. St Paul's Cathedral is a really, really big cathedral and 16 people turned up to celebrate Easter. Then along came the Wesleys. John Wesley was an Anglican minister who brought revival to England and William Wilberforce. John Wesley actually couldn't speak until he was five. They didn't know what was wrong with him. He didn't utter a word. He became one of, the, uh, one of Britain's most powerful preachers. He was an, actually an Anglican minister and um, he started to preach in the Anglican church and bring all sorts of people to faith in Jesus and they were flooding the churches but some of the people didn't want all sorts of people coming to their churches. So he had to go and preach in the fields and then they said, well, that field is actually my parish. He was known to have rocks and stones thrown at him. But because of that, revival came to Great Britain. Now this is really important because at the same time the French had a revolution which was a very bloody revolution with heads being chopped off and a lot of terror. And in England, they had a spiritual revolution, which means that it wasn't loss of life, it was rescue of life. And extraordinary things happened um, through people like William Wilberforce, uh, slavery was abolished. Through people like William Wilberforce, trade unions came into existence and created rights for workers. Before that, children were working in mines all day. Some children never saw the light of day. They had to get up before the sun rose and then go down to the mines and when they came up the sun had already set and that changed. And in Sunday schools they started to teach the poor children who were illiterate to read so they could read the Bible and suddenly education started to come to England and when education came people started to get jobs and this was all because of a spiritual revival because when people fully put their faith and their trust in Jesus and understood what they were good at they started to change all aspects of society. 
And that started to spread right around the world. And so when you see people like that, Ernest Kamanapali, Barry Rice, who we're celebrating on Thursday, an amazing man in our church, what we need to understand is that have, people have gone before us, they're just ordinary people like you and me. Like John Wesley couldn't speak till he was five. His mother was really worried about him. But they have taken up the baton and they've said, here I am, Lord, send me. Because what they've understood when they've encountered Jesus, and this is how you know if you've really encountered Jesus, you are blown away by his servant love for you. Because you see someone who gave his life for you, who hung on the cross for you so that you could be redeemed. And when you really experience that, you look at the world around you and you say, Lord, I want to go and do the same for someone else. I want to go and see someone rescue. So... Now you start to get who you are. Why are we here tonight? So I'm going to go to Ephesians 4 and it says this. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He is Jesus. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things And now we'll pause because you're thinking, hang on, ascended, descended, gifts, captives, no idea what that means. So before you all click off and start seeing who won the football this afternoon, or maybe you know who did win. Oh, the Knights won. That's good. Well, I've been here all afternoon, so I didn't know. But anyway, that's good. Okay, so before you start working all this out, let me tell you in a nutshell what this means. So there's two kingdoms, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Now, in the kingdom of darkness, the difference between the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light is not that one group is better than the other. It's not to do with the people. It's to do with the state of the kingdom. It's like if you live in um, China, which is under communist rule, and you live here, which is under a democratic rule, the people are just the same. We're just people. But we live under a different rule. And so if you live into the kingdom of darkness, you live under a rule and it's the law of sin and death and you live under that. If you live in the kingdom of light, you live in the freedom of the grace of God. And uh, and if you live in the kingdom of, of um, darkness, which is dominated by the law of, the, of sin and death, the only way to get out of it is to be perfect and you can't do it. So you're trapped. So Jesus descended to the earth and um, as it says in John 1, he, the, the Word, he's called the Word, he created the world, he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he came and he gave his life, he paid for us on the cross for our sin so that anyone who put up their hand and said, rescue me, I no longer try to do this myself, I put my life, my trust totally in you, he says, I'm taking you with me out of the kingdom of darkness, bringing you into the kingdom of light. And that's why it means captives. He descended, he rescued you, and he brought you into the kingdom of light. And that's why you're as a captive that you want to be, a prisoner of Jesus, brought beautifully into the kingdom of light. But when you come into this kingdom of light, you don't get a deck chair and an iced lemonade. You get a gift, but that's not the gift that you get. You get an extraordinary gift because what he's saying to you is right. Other people are still trapped in the kingdom of darkness and I'm giving you a gift and we're going to go back and we're going to rescue them and we're going to bring them out into the kingdom of light. That is your gift. If you want to understand how that works a little bit more, read um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. If you've read it, you'll know what I'm talking about where the children get gifts and each gift is different. Each gift is ready and re- and ready to be used for a particular purpose. So you have to know what your gift is so that you're ready to use it for a particular purpose. 
And it says this, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when you are rescued from this kingdom and brought into this one, you're still a bit war-torn and weary. And then as we grow together, we become increasingly like Jesus and we all help each other to become like that along the way. Now, interesting thing, it says here, you are given these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who are the saints? Well, you may have heard of saints and churches named after saints and they are saints, but so are you. According to the Bible, the followers of Jesus are called saints. So here you are, St. Mark, St. Stuart, St. Kate, and beside you is another saint. You can actually turn to them and say, hello, saint, whoever you might be, say hello, because you are a saint. And what's more, it goes on to say that you are equipping the saints for ministry. Now, in churches, we either have churches are led by a minister or a pastor, so we call them the senior minister or the senior pastor, which is kind of wrong. It's really the senior leader because everyone's a minister. Everyone, if you're here tonight, you're a follower of Jesus, you're actually a minister and you have a ministry. How's your ministry going? Because you have one. It's a bit scary if you uh, didn't realise that. Every now and then I have a dream that I'm still a teacher and I forgot and that there's a class waiting and someone calls and says, your class is waiting. And I'm like, what? Oh, I forgot I'm still a teacher. Oh, my goodness. So it's kind of like that with your ministry. You actually have one and it's good for you to know what it is. So let's have a look at these different gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, and they're all different and it's a bit like this. It's like a football match. So in the football match, everyone has a part to play to make the team win. Now, my little grandson Silas, who's four, he's just started doing Kick, which is like, He's starting to learn how to be an AFL player. I go and play AFL with AFL with him in the park. Thank you, Jeremiah, for thinking that was hilarious. I'm actually quite good. Ask uh, Silas. So anyway, when I go, when I went to watch Silas, the little group of, of, of children who are learning to do this, they have this practice game and they all run like in one little clump. You see it in little soccer matches and hockey matches. Everyone follows it around together. Now, if anyone was at the Knights this afternoon and all the Knights just ran around in one little clump, you would wonder why we pay them. And what had happened to them? Because something happened from when they were four to when they become adults. Adults, They learnt that they had a particular position on the field. And once they learnt what their particular position was, they practised it. So if you're kicking goals, you spend a lot of time kicking goals. Because when your one moment comes to kick the goal, you better get it right. And if you haven't been practising you probably won't get it right. So it's really good to know what you are gifted in so that you can practice that. You don't have to do everything. We're called to be a body working together. And it says in Ephesians 4, when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if you look at it that differently, it means that when each part isn't working properly, it stops the whole body growing and stops building itself up in love. So each one of us needs to learn how to do this properly. So let me tell you a little bit about these gifts and I want you to see where you might fit into this. You might find that of these five, there are other gifts, by the way, through the scriptures. I'm just looking at these five tonight because you use these five to equip each other. This is what we all do. So when we gather together, this is like training for your ministry that you're about to go into tomorrow morning when you get up 
And some of you know what it is. Some of you know where you go, but you don't know what God's going to bring before you at any moment. It's just like if you're playing in the football field, you don't know if you're going to get to kick a goal. You don't know when it's going to happen. You just have to be ready. So we gather together and we build each other up and we encourage each other and we equip each other so that when we go out, we are ready. We're listening to the Holy Spirit and we are ready to bring the grace and the love and the kindness of God to every person we encounter so that they might too know Jesus and experience his abundant life. So let's see where you fit in. You might see yourself in a couple and that's fine. Firstly, apostles, one who was sent. People who are apostles have this urgency of tomorrow. They are entrepreneurial, cultural architects. They think of expansion. They are strategic. And they're asking themselves this question, will this increase our capacity for mission? Now, you may think that's just always on the big scale, but it starts on a little scale. And when we gather together, there's opportunities to serve everywhere, everywhere. You can be on the coffee station, you can be at the door, you can be ushering, you can come at four o'clock and be on children's ministry or youth ministry, you could be serving in any particular way. But once you know your gift, it stops us being like a function that you perform and you start to realise, I'm gifted in this, there's something I can bring here. You could be on the coffee station and you can have the gift of an apostle and you're not just standing there pouring coffee, you keep thinking, how can I make this better? How could I bless more people through this? And you start to think of ideas and you get excited about your ideas and you want to see this coffee ministry expand, not just in providing coffee but in ways that you can minister to people. And it starts off little and then becomes big so that we've had people in our church who have dreamt of how to raise money to purchase this building. You've got to start somewhere small and be faithful, as Jesus says, with the small things so that God will entrust you with big things. But some of you will know when I talk about If I had the coffee stand, what could I do with it to make it more effective? Some of you already are starting to imagine that, aren't you? Hand up if that's you. Well, this is what the four o'clock people did. And then some people go, oh, yeah, I think that's me. Well, you should just put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm starting to imagine. Put your hand up because it's a gift. Great. What you have to know is that these gifts are not your identity. They're actually gifts. And here's the mistake that we make. We think the gift, we go, I am an apostle. I'm a, no, 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 no. You're a child of God, but you were entrusted with this gift. And there's a big difference with that. So if I say, do you feel like that might be you? You dream of how to propel things forward. Raise your hand boldly and say, I have been given that gift. Okay. And then some of you are like this. You're prophets. And in 1 Corinthians 14, we read about the prophet who strengthens, encourages and comforts. These are the people who keep the movement aligned with the heart of the Father. They want people to hear the heart of the Father all the time. They're prayerful, demonstrative. They're anticipating good. And they ask themselves this question, will this help us embody God's concerns? Graham and I were at a wedding last year. And uh, the mother of the groom, so remember she's at her son's wedding and as we were leaving the reception she said, oh, Graham, I've got something for you. And she goes to her bag and she's got out this whole prophetic word of encouragement typed out for him. So she's gone to the wedding with this word already. Do you find that amazing? You know, we were overseas once in Reading and um, we were having dinner, our family, for my birthday and the girl serving was at Bible college there and when we were leaving she came up and said, oh, by the way, while you were all having dinner I was praying for you and God gave me a word of encouragement for your family. I think that's amazing. There's people in our church who send me a word, lots of people send a word every week just praying for you and God gave me this verse for you to encourage you. Extraordinary people and some of you are here tonight. 
And when you're serving, when you are strategically placed, you can be strategically placed on the door and you're not just on the door. You are there ready to bring this gift of encouragement to every person who comes in the door and think, yes, all these people are coming tonight and I get to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to bless all these people. And you just love to do that. Hand up if that's you. You can boldly raise your hand. Good. So far I've had about five people. And I know there's more of you hiding there. And uh, God wants you to practice this gift. And then we have the evangelist, the one who recruits and promotes relational with an emphasis on novelty. And novelty just doesn't mean like fun, which can be fun, but novelty means new. So um, Theo and Anna have been running the uh, Alpha course at the Binny Beef Warehouse because every time they get together, they think, where else can we go? How can we change this? How can we make this different to reach out to people? They, they love playfulness and celebration. They're persuasive and they think this, will this help us bring people to a point of trusting in Christ? I know Theo is always thinking that when he's writing the Christmas production, aren't you? And people are putting it together thinking, will this bring people to a point, well, to a point of on this journey where they can find Jesus? And some of you are sitting here tonight, you're always thinking of that. And I know some of you, I know, and sometimes when I'm with people, I, I hear their heart for people. And some of you, who are, who are you? Who are you? Who are always thinking about how you can reach out to someone? Great. Raising your hand boldly. I like that. It's really good. And then there's the teacher. Sorry. Keep forgetting the pastor and the shepherd. I forgot it. I forgot the pastor shepherd in the 10:30. Almost this one. Shepherd and pastor, one who cares, sustainer, humanizer, nurturing, healer, inclusive. And they think, how will this affect the organization and people? And those people notice the needs of people and always thinking about how to make people feel loved and valued. And sometimes you can be frustrated with other people because they don't notice, but that's just because that's what you're really good at. Hand up if that's you. Great. People are noticing themselves now. You are there. And then you've got the, the teacher, the one who explains, who's intellectual, prescriptive, analytical, with an emphasis on curiosity. And they'll always ask this, how does Scripture speak into this? And they love to get into the Word of God. And they love to know the Word of God incredibly well so that whenever anyone says, what does this mean? They can help them understand it, help them unpack it. And, you know, people like that can run connect groups, can work in children's ministry, youth ministry, so many areas. And we have so many areas around here that you can serve in and just be ready to build someone up. So when we get together, it's not just about you sitting in a chair and feeling good. It's about you coming in and saying, here I am. I'm a saint with a ministry and I've got a gift and I'm going to come and build people up so that when they go into this week, they will win. That's my aim. Each person will win and you get the privilege of doing that and God is going to use you to do that as you put up your hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And the more you do that, the more you experience abundant life because that's what you were designed for. And just to finish off, Jesus said this because sometimes we can be, we can, our, our gift can come our identity and you don't want that to happen. Jesus said called his disciples to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Do not let it be your identity. It doesn't matter whether people notice what gift you have or not. The Heavenly Father knows what gift you have. And he's watching how you use that. And Jesus tells a parable that one day what we've been entrusted with, we will give an answer for. It's a gift. 
and he's expecting a return from your gift because he loves people. He loves people and he's entrusting people to us. How profound is that? And so tonight we're going to take communion just to finish off. And as you take communion, as you take the bread and the cup, these are the symbols of the greatest servant of all, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, the one who gave his life for you so that you could discover abundant life. And as you take it tonight, ask God to give you a greater picture of who he is and his love for you. And as you take it tonight, have this um, relationship with God where as you hear him speak, you speak to him as well and give him your love and your heart and your life. And as you give your life away, he fills you up afresh. And the more you give away, the more he fills. And the more you give away, the more he fills. And I encourage you just to try that tonight as you come and take the bread and come and take the cup. And we'll just get the band up as we do that. And we'll just spend a little bit of time just listening to God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us the way. Jesus is the way. And the way is to take up our cross and to follow you, to die to yourself, to die to ourselves. And as Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I pray for each one of us here tonight, Lord, that we would find the abundance that's only found in Jesus and that we would have such love for people. Overflow us, Lord, with love for people that we would not do anything because we have to but because we overwhelm with love for people, love for you and love for the world, that this world would flourish and we would get to partner with you in seeing people rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 